the controversial Christopher Hitchens, once on the radical left and now on the right, who argues that religion is an inherently destructive force. In the other corner, journalist and writer Chris Hedges, who believes in the power of religious faith. This KPFA benefit takes place on Thursday, May 24th at 7.30 p.m. at King Middle School, 1781 Rose Street in Berkeley, and is wheelchair accessible. Tickets are available from Bay Area independent bookstores and online at kpfa.org slash tickets. For more information, call 510-848-6767, extension 612. And thank you to our listeners. We have made our match in that last hour of pitching for FunDrive or KPFA FunDrive. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is a minute past 3 p.m. Stay tuned, ne- stay tuned next for Cover to Cover Open Book. And welcome to a special edition of Cover to Cover Open Book. Tomorrow, Saturday, May 19th, marks what have what would have been the 82nd birthday of civil rights leader Malcolm X. Here at KPFA, we honor Malcolm X and his work by bringing you the highlights of one of his latest speeches. His last one of his last speeches. The following is Malcolm X addressing the need for black action for civil rights titled The Prospects of Freedom. This was recorded a month before his assassination in February of 1965. Stay tuned. It's an honor to me to be able to come back to the militant labor forum again this evening. Tonight, during the few moments that we have, we're going to have a little chat, like brothers and sisters and friends and probably enemies too, about the prospect for peace or prospect for freedom in 1965. If you notice, I almost, almost slipped there and said peace. Actually, you can't separate peace from freedom. Anybody, no one can be at peace unless he has his freedom. You can't separate the two. And this is the thing that makes 1965 so explosive and so dangerous. The people in this country who in the past have been at peace and been peaceful were that way only because they didn't know what freedom was. They let somebody else define it for them. But today, 1965, you find those who have not had freedom uh, and not in a position to define freedom, they're beginning to define it for themselves now, And as they get in a position intellectually to define freedom for themselves, they see that they don't have it. And it makes them less peaceful or less inclined toward peace. So in discussing this topic tonight, prospects for freedom in 1965, I think we have to go back 
at least 12 years or 10 years to the time when the struggle of the black man in America began to be projected into the limelight, not only in this country, but throughout the world. It started primarily with the Supreme Court decision, so-called desegregation decision, and uh, I should say so-called desegregation, so-called decision, because uh, there has been some doubt as to what they really handed down. One of the main ingredients in the struggle of the black man in America for the past 12 years has been the black Muslim movement. No one can, can uh, deny the role that the black Muslim movement has played in America during the past 12 years has been one of the main ingredients in the uh, stepped-up militancy on the part of black people throughout this country. No matter what direction the black Muslim movement itself was headed in, no matter what its own organizational philosophy was, and no matter what other people thought about it, no matter what their personal opinions were of the black Muslim movement, still it cannot be denied that that movement, because of its uncompromising stand and uncompromisingly militant approach to things, uh, forced other civil rights organizations to be more militant than they normally would have been, and forced many of the civil rights leaders definitely to be more militant than they ever would have thought of being. So the, the militancy of the black man in America during the past 10 years, in my opinion, can be traced largely to the existence and presence of the movement, which I'm referring to now, for purpose of identification as the black Muslim movement. Its contribution to the black struggle for freedom in this country was militancy. It made many of our people dare to get loud for the first time in 400 years. It made many of the black leaders of the civil rights movement dare to get loud for the first time. I mean really loud for the first time in, in 400, nearly 400 years of our being in this country. They got more militant than they intended to be, and they made many of the people become more militant than they intended for the people to be. It had a chain reaction effect that actually got out of control somewhat, because the leaders themselves never intended and never do intend for our people to go too far. Their primary purpose in our midst has always been to contain our struggle, not lead our struggle. Proof of which, seldom are they seen until the irresponsible elements in the black community begin to explode. And then they go all the way around the country to grab one of them from wherever he's traveling and bring him in to cool things down, to tell us to be cool, or tell us to take it easy, don't rock the boat. This is their function, this is their role. At least it has been up until recent times. They never have been put in the role that they're in with the intention by the, by the one who puts them there of them leading us into any uncompromising un, uh, and militant uh, struggle. But the existence of some of the Muslim groups and the black nationalist groups that couldn't be controlled by the power structure downtown, 
and I only use the expression power structure downtown to keep from calling it what it actually is. These nationalist elements actually uh, serve their purpose in that sense. They gave respectability to the civil rights group and gave acceptability to the civil rights group. Ten years ago or more, the NAACP was looked upon as a, a radical, leftist, almost subversive movement. And then when the black Muslim movement came along, the power structure said, thank the Lord for Roy Wilkins and the NAACP. Pick up any newspaper that was printed 10 years ago and read what was being said about CORE and NAACP and Urban League and some of these other groups. They were considered irresponsible. They were considered moving too fast. They were considered almost extremists. And then when they looked around one day and found someone talking about all of them are devils, they were all night looking up Roy Wilkins and James Farmer and the Right Reverend Dr. King and some of the others to soothe them and keep them thinking that all of our people didn't, didn't think like that. So it did contribute its part in the struggle. It made Roy Wilkins acceptable and honorable and responsible. And sometimes today I think he's forgotten what we've done for him. <laughs> One of the things I noticed when I was in Africa traveling around, I noticed many Africans who were still colonized, still exploited, still oppressed. And one of the things all of them had in common was they seemed sad. They would discuss their sad plight, but they weren't ready to really do anything to change it. They seemed to be waiting on some miracle. But the contrasting difference between them and what happened in Kenya, the Kikuyu got mad. They just didn't care what the consequences were. They knew they cared nothing about legality, morality, or anything. All they knew was that they were being oppressed unjustly, illegally, immorally. And because of this unjust, illegal, immoral oppression that they were suffering, they came to the conclusion that they would be within their rights to bring it to a halt by any means necessary. And they adopted those means. When they began to use these means in their struggle for freedom, the, the press of the West began to project them in a very negative image. They were freedom fighters. They were African patriots fighting against oppression. They weren't fighting against a legal government. They weren't fighting against a moral society. They were fighting against a, uh, a colonial power, an imperialist power, uh, a vulturous society. And this vulturous society, with its control of the press and its, and its uh, allies here in the United States, who also control much of the press, projected these freedom fighters, these African patriots, uh, in the image of savages, cannibals, terrorists, some as criminals, actually. And they projected Jomo Kenyatta in an image worse than all. But the Mao Mao weren't image conscious. They weren't uh, status seekers. They wanted freedom. 
And they came to a conclusion at a point in their journey that the only way there was to get it was the way they did it. And they got it. I admire them for that. I respect them for that. So the difference between being projected as an extremist or a monster is only, only depends upon who controls the projection. If you project your own image, then you are able to project a positive image. But when your enemy is your master, and when your enemy masters the press that's going to build, create this image and project it abroad, then naturally your enemy is going to project you in the image of a monster. So I say, and I must say, because a reporter was asking me a few moments ago to either confirm or deny the statement that the Times had mentioned where I said we need a Mau Mau in the United States. I never would deny that. Why, we need more than a Mau Mau in the United States. I mean, actually, a person have a lot of nerve to ask me that. So getting back to the black Muslim movement, the, you have to understand it in order to understand pretty much what has taken place in the civil rights movement in this country during the past 10 years, and in order to understand what might take place in 1965. The black Muslim movement attracted the most militant young black people in this country. The most restless, the most impatient, and the most uncompromising black men and women were attracted to the black Muslim movement. But the movement itself, as it begun to grow, actually was maneuvered into a, a vacuum in that it, it represented itself as a religious movement, and the religion under which it identified itself was Islam, and the people in the part of the world who also identified that as their religion did not accept the black Muslim movement as a bona fide Islamic or Muslim movement. So it was put in the position of going by a religion that rejected it, which put it into a vacuum. On the other hand, the government in Washington tried to label the black Muslim movement as political. It used the press, it maneuvered the press to project the black Muslim movement in an image that would enable the government itself to, uh, to list it as political and therefore label it seditious and subversive and step in and stomp it out like it stomps out most bona fide freedom movements that appear in this country. So the black Muslim movement was not only a, a, a religious hybrid, but it became a political hybrid in that it was more political than religious, but at the same time it didn't take part in politics. It didn't take part in the civil rights struggle. It took part in nothing that black people in this country was doing to correct conditions that existed in our community other than it had a moral force that it, it stopped our people from getting drunk and taking drugs and things of that sort, which is not enough. After you sober up, you're still poor. So it became in a vacuum. It had it actually developed, it grew, it became powerful, but it was in a vacuum. And it was filled with extremely militant young people who weren't willing to compromise with anything and wanted action. More action, actually, than the organization itself could produce. More constructive action and positive action than the hierarchy of the organization was 
qualified, actually, to produce. The main objective of the movement was land, but the, those in the movement were told that God would come and take them to that land. Well, for a time this was all right, but no visible means were ever detected by anyone in the movement that would enable us to see that a plan was afoot to make this objective materialize. It caused dissatisfaction. It caused dissension, which eventually developed division. And out of the division, immediately, those who left, uh, out of that division, or out of those who left, was formed uh, an authentic religious group known as Muslim Mosque Incorporated, which practiced the religion of Islam as it is practiced and taught in Mecca and Cairo and Lahore and other parts of the Muslim world. But those who went into the uh, orthodox practice of the Islam religion in the Muslim Mosque Incorporated, at the same time we realized that we were black people in a white society. We were black people in a society whose very political system was based and nourished upon racism, whose social system was a racist system, whose economic system was nourished with racism. We were black people who wanted to be religious, who wanted to practice brotherhood and all of that, who wanted to love everybody and all of that too. But at the same time, that was a dream, you know, as my good friend the doctor said. So wanting brotherhood and wanting peace and wanting all these other beautiful things, we had to also face reality and realize that we were in a racist society that was controlled by racists from the federal government right on down to the local government, from the White House right on down to City Hall. Racism was what we were confronted by. So we knew that this was a problem that was beyond religion, and we formed another organization that was non-religious. And this organization was called the Organization of Afro-American Unity, or the OAAU. We got the idea for it from travels and observations of the success that our brothers on the African continent were having in their struggle for freedom. They were getting free faster than we. They were getting their independence faster than we. They were getting recognition and respect even when they came to this country faster than we. But we had to find out what was happening. How were they doing it and what were they doing? So we could try a little bit of it. The first thing I returned, I kept being asked a question by some reporters. We heard you change. I was kind to the reporter, actually. I smiled and all. <laughs> but I would say to myself, how in the world can a white man expect a black man to change before he has changed? How do you expect us to change when the cause that made us as we are has not been removed? Why, it's infantile, it's immature, and adolescent on your part to expect us to change, to expect us to be dumb enough to change when you have not yet gone to the cause of the condition that makes us act as we do. You got the wrong man. Now, I'm speaking like this, it doesn't mean that I'm anti-American. I'm not. I'm not anti-American <laughs> or un-American. And I'm not saying that to defend myself, because if I was that, I'd have a right to be that, after what America has done to us. 
This government should be lucky that our people aren't anti-American. They should get down on your hands and knees every morning and thank God that 22 million black people have, have not become anti-American. Because if anybody has a right to be anti-American, we have. You've given us every right to. And the whole world would side with us if we became anti-American. You know, that's something to think about. But we're not anti-American. But we see we are anti or against what America is doing wrong in other parts of the world as well as here. And what she did in the Congo in 1964 is wrong. It's criminal. Criminal. And what she did to the American public to get the American public to go along with it is criminal. What she's doing in South Vietnam is criminal. She's causing American soldiers to be murdered every day, killed every day, die every day for no, no reason at all. That's wrong. Now, you're not supposed to be so blind with patriotism that you can't face reality. Wrong is wrong no matter who, who does it or who says it. The words of Malcolm X as we mark his birthday, his uh, birthday that would be coming up tomorrow, May 19th. And we are here um, asking for your support here at KPFA. We're marking it by bringing you this amazing speech that he gave back in 1965, just a few weeks before he was assassinated. And you could see why his words resonated with so many as well as were deemed very dangerous by by a few when you talk about what he was saying at the very end about the criminal acts of this government of this u.s government and so many similarities when we're talking about what is going on today i'm amelia gonzalez along with erica bridgman and we're bringing you this uh, this commemoration of this man's life who was born Malcolm Little and left that name because it was consi- he considered it his slave name and used the name Malcolm X. And we are here asking for your support as we finish off our second week of this uh, spring fun drive. And we wanted to bring you programming to encourage you to go to the phone as well as to mark the day that should not go unrecognized, especially here in Berkeley, especially here in the Bay Area, and of course, I would argue, across this country. You can get this wonderful two-CD set. This was only uh, highlights of this over-hour um, speech, about uh, actually close to two hours, Prospects for Freedom, for a $60 pledge if you call now, or you could get the entire six CD collection of Malcolm X. This is coming to us from the Pacifica archives. A wonderful uh, thing that KPFA, that Pacifica does, is actually archive this information and these speeches in order for you to listen to this and get a sense of the history of what is crucial for us to know, the people's history for uh, coining, um, of course, Howard Zinn's term. But uh, nonetheless, this is what we're about. This is what is crucial in keeping us alive. You can get that by calling 1-800-439-5732. That's our toll-free number. If you are locally in the five and dime, you can call 848 
888-565-5732, and you could get the two CDs, Prospects for Freedom, that uh, is what you just heard, or you could get the six, the entire Malcolm X collection, that's a six CD set for $180, or you could get both for $220. Yours for the asking if you call now. Many thanks to that uh, couple of callers that we had, and one just went away, so I'm hoping that more of you will go to the phone and keep this. Let us uh, gather the history and actually make sure that, you know, Malcolm X has been demonized, has been, um, you know, a lot has been, a lot of fallacies have been raised about what he has said and what he has done. And this is a perfect opportunity for you to have this and share the real information of the real words that he used. You know, he did not mince words when he talked about what this government, what this country has done to African Americans to black Americans in this country. He talks also about the Mau Mau and what was going on in Africa in the, in the sixties, in the early sixties and, and why, and why it was important for African Americans to learn that history. This is something that you will have forever, that you will enjoy, that you will uh, appreciate if you call now. And more importantly, you, you actually get to keep KPFA going for another 50 years to make sure that we continue to chronicle what is going on in the world. 1-800-439-5732-848-5732. Yes, Amelia, on this past Sunday on the Radio Chronicles, we actually also featured um, the voice of Malcolm X in a piece called Malcolm X, A Retrospective that was also from the Pacific Archives that was an amazing um, opportunity to hear his voice. And one of the things that really struck me was how current his words are even today. Um, uh, it's sad that um, so little has changed, if any, in terms of um, the actual access of African Americans in uh, American society. Uh, it is still a struggle. Um, it is still ongoing and we are uh, through these um, offerings from the Pacifica archives are able to hear the actual voice of Malcolm X and to be reminded of this. Some of the things that he was saying when I was just listening to um, the the little snippet that we heard was about how the control of the press represents the images that we all see of each other. And when you have a press that is controlled by a force that is... Uh, anti-black, you will get anti-black images. This is the kinds of things that he was speaking about um, 30, 40 years ago, and it's currently what is going on even today. Uh, this is why we we feature the voice of Malcolm X. It's, it really is a timeless um, offering that you can have for your collection, that you can uh, have for your for your family and for uh, the community uh, that you have, um, and your gift of support supports KPFA. Again, the number 510-848-5732 or 1-800-439-5732. We have two people on the line, and we want to thank those two people, but we have many more lines that are open, and we really encourage you to go to your phones right now. We don't have much time for um, open book Today, this is our last uh, time that open book cover to cover will be here in this time 
for our spring fun drive. So this is the time that you want to go to your phone right now. Again, 510-848-5732 or 1-800-439-5732. Again, you could get as a thank you gift the two CD set, highlights of what you just heard, Prospects for Freedom, for a $60 pledge where he actually goes in depth. We heard him give the history of uh, the black Muslim movement here and talked about what, how, you know, it didn't fit any one mold, you know, that it was a hybrid of the political as well as the religious and how misinterpreted it was. He also talks about the media and also talks about how misrepresented uh, these movements were. And it's crucial for us to remember that part of it when we're talking about alternative media, when we're talking about keeping KPFA going, bringing you another voice. That was the dream of Lou Hill, of actually bringing in people to be sponsoring a station so that it wouldn't be beholden to anything other than the people. That is the experiment that we are engaged in, that all of us, when I say we, I mean you and us and all of us, in order to keep this experiment going, we need you. It was by design that Lou Hill had it this way, and all the folks that were involved back in 1949, won't you please support that design and that dream? 1-800-439-5732-848-5732. If you're listening to us online, feel free to uh, go to the support link. It will be the first page, as you have noticed, and please support us that way. Again, two CDs, Prospect for Freedom for $60, or you could get the six-CD set, which is $180. If you do our monthly uh sustainer rate that's $15 or you could get both for $220 and that's a little less than $18.50 we're out of time please continue to call if you uh, feel so inclined coming up is free speech radio news let me thank today's food donors food 